Hey, welcome to some half interesting takes. I'm one of your co-hosts, Alex, and with me today we have the usual Nick. Hey. We have Zed. Hello. And mixing it up a little bit this episode, we have a special guest. Say hello, Eric. Hello. Well, hello. So for this episode, I was thinking for one of the topics, I have like a story that I was inspired by. So like just a... Uh, I don't know, a few weeks ago, I don't know if you guys know about the current GPU kind of craze going on right now, where demand's just insane for GPUs because of scalpers and crypto miners. But um, we decided to go to Micro Center because I wanted to build a uh, tower and I needed a uh, GPU, specifically a RTX 3070. So we went there a few weeks earlier. We knew like the um, lines usually there were pretty long because of demand. So we got there maybe like uh, we first got there like a couple hours earlier, maybe around eight when the opening time was like 10 a.m. And then we got there and there was already like 60 people online. It was already wrapping around the entire building. And there was only like maybe I want to say 10 to 15, 10 to 15, like RTX 3070s in stock. So we knew at that point that after like a couple more of those runs we did, we were like, OK, me and my brother, me and Nick, were like, okay, we're probably going to have to go a lot, a lot earlier if we want to have a chance. So right after school ended for me, we ended up getting there. We set up a time. We were going to get there at 2 a.m. and wait in line for 2 a.m. That's since 2 a.m. So that's like eight hours of waiting, which is insane. But um, so happens that that day was the one day where like, all the video cards kind of came and there was like, I don't know, like 38, 3070s. So a decent amount of video cards came that day. So thankfully waiting, we, we got the video cards after waiting for eight hours in line, which we probably could have packed better for, but oh well, we got it. Still questioning whether it was worth it, but I'd say like even like a couple days after that little experience, I was still trying to fix my sleep schedule. So that was fun. But yeah, just kind of shows that like um, demand for these video cards are goddamn insane, all because of one specific group of people. There are probably other minor factors as well, such as COVID and uh, potentially crypto miners. But one of the main reasons is scalpers. Those people are buying up a crap ton of GPUs online using bots, which are resorting for people to kind of go into retail stores, like physical stores, because scalpers will have obviously have a hard time getting the supply from that area. So uh, Nick was there also with me. Do you have any like personal anecdotes you want to share from that experience? Yeah, so um, being nice in those lines um, is a good thing kind of, but it's also detrimental. Uh, there were some nice people in front of us and they kind of waited for everybody to pack up before walking forwards, except they waited too long and there were a couple people that decided to throw themselves in the line right in front of them. Uh, one person realized the, that they made a mistake and walked to the end of the line. The other person put up a fight. They kept saying they didn't care, etc. They looked, they walked, didn't see anybody. Yeah, the problem is that's about 60 or 70 people behind him that probably want to kill him. If yes. notified of what's going on. Um, so normally those types of situations will turn into, uh, turn confrontational almost immediately. 
except um, there's ways to deal with that. For example, going into retail person mode where you just constantly say, sir, but you put your point out and you be polite about it. Um, in the end, uh, the person wasn't listening, so everybody just kind of walked around him and ignored him. And he kind of just was like, well, shit, what do I do? And that's basically it. Uh, scalpers cost this, so so did people trying to get around it. Uh, there were a bunch of people in the line who were very open about the fact that they were trying to get more GPUs for themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, that's also a questionable thing. I don't know why they are so open about talking about that. There's so many people trying to get GPUs constantly that it's it's questionable to talk about that out loud and talking about mining and buying a new GPU because you've run out uh, and you've you've ruined your other GPU um, just openly around all the people who have been trying ages to get new GPUs. It's uh, it's really a concern for your health and safety, honestly. Because if mm-hmm. somebody is unrestrained, uh, kind of like the individual with their voice. Uh, then they will um, they will probably attack him at some point. So it, it's it, people need yeah, well, to be restrained. Yeah, well, like technically, there's well, except for the cutting line part. Like technically, there's nothing wrong about talking about like what you want to do with your with with your cards. But yeah, it doesn't evoke a lot of public anger, I suppose. Yeah, uh, like socially, it's you gotta you gotta understand what's socially acceptable in a situation when you start talking, because it's almost like talking, uh, laughing uh, at a funeral about something. Um, it's not socially acceptable, um, and it's not something that you oh. should be doing because you're going to draw a lot of attention, and it's not going to be good attention. I mean, basically, I'd say I'd say it depends on like the uh, people's views in the line. Like, if people do yeah. care about what they're talking about and view it negatively then yeah but some people don't but yeah um, i mean you're just showing concern yeah i mean i feel like we're kind of getting to the topics of social norms again which is not something we want yeah to we can i mean we're just connecting yeah, okay. that. No, we can move away from that i'm just i'm just talking about that um the line stuff that's i mean that's the end of it so moving on to the next topic um yeah so just as like an overarching like question, um, why do you guys think or like what are the factors for like the sudden increase in demand for GPUs? What do you guys think? Well, I've heard a couple of things around. One thing is everybody being stuck at home like makes people want to get like better, I guess, home gaming and wor- like workstations. Mm-hmm. Um, that's I think the um, if you look at the numbers on Steam, I think that like home gaming has absolutely exploded. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not sure if... I'm not sure if the... Um, like, crypto miners is a main contributing factor to it, though. Because I don't know if you tried um, mining with, like, recent... I guess, GT or RTX cards. Like, they are... They, they are so decent, but I think... Right now, with, it's, like the only thing that's actually profitable isn't it just um like single purpose um cards now like single purpose machine and cards now instead of um like yeah. general purpose gpus and things yeah i don't really know why like the 3000 series in particular was so heavily targeted for crypto miners maybe it was just 
a better like price per I don't know, performance type of dealio where like it's cheap and it gives you a decent profit margin. So that's why they were going for it. I don't know I'm not cheap. completely sure though. I don't know about cheap. No. So repaired about other crypto cards. But real quick about the numbers you were talking about. Uh I pulled up a just a statistics website and right near the end of 2019, they were at about 16.97 million. Um, and there's a very steep incline all the way up to April 20 with 24.54 million, and then a quick decline, and then a incline back up to 24.8 million by the end of December 2020. Right. Um, what are the units? What are we measuring? Sorry. Million. Sorry. Millions of users, um, concurrent Steam users. Ah, okay. okay. And how does that compare to... Oh, so that's concurrent users, not like... Yeah, it's a it's a steep incline to a quick decline to a steep incline again. Okay. So, gotcha. yeah. Yeah, so that we definitely got demand here. Um, and I don't think, like, NVIDIA or any of their, I guess, chip suppliers could have predict predicted that we had this um, level of increase just specifically this year. Yeah. So that that's like one factor as well. But back to the topic of like, I guess, um, it being cheap. Given the power consumption, I don't think it's like actually profitable unless you get free electricity. Because I know, so I have the equivalent of a thirty sixty, um, mm -hmm. like in my laptop right now, and some people have done some mining on it, which isn't really good for the health of your machine, but. Yeah. Um, I've seen people getting like trying to mine on it, and they've they've been able to get like about three dollars U.S. dollars worth of Bitcoin every day, which is still I would say still a decent amount. Uh, is that well, like subtracting energy... like the power draw, power costs, or is that just pure that's, revenue? That's like without considering power, so that's definitely not Jeez. worth it. Yeah. So if you have, <laughs> so if you have a thirty sixty, it's definitely not worth it. Mm -hmm. Now, are you talking about just with that type of computer? Because remember that power consumption does have to do with temperature. Um, not like straight up, but it's a um, what is it? It's um, exponential kind of um, relation, where. Oh. The the cooler you can keep your system, the less power it needs to draw. Gotcha. I don't know. I mean, maybe sure. efficiency. Right. It's, uh, it's power it's efficiency. I don't see On top it. of that, if you undervolt it um, with an overclock, then you can use and draw less power. It it still won't increase it all too much because overclocking at most like maybe increases it at maybe like 20 to 30 percent performance if we're being generous right i mean we can opt like you so. can obviously optimize it but we're talking about like running like 24 hours for just three dollars worth of bitcoin which is yeah even if you optimize it's probably not going to cover your power cost yeah i think in order to be profitable i think most people are gunning for either definitely a 3090 but if yeah. people can get one if can't get one then probably a 3080 yeah, and so it was, be, I was stating uh, reducing undervolting to reduce power draw, power costs. Ah, uh, but I don't think it like reduce it to a point where it like create like suddenly it suddenly become yeah, profitable. Yeah, but also at the same time, 
although also although at the same time i'm talking about like a machine with a single graphics card here like with a single gpu here mm-hmm. so yeah um, so there's a lot of overhead to it as well that is true hmm. especially for the limited mining because like the people who are mining uh they end up trying to remove the limiters that are automatically already there and they end up doing that and then um mining at a higher hash rate oh true gotcha um but speaking of limiters um nvidia recently for the 3000 series has introduced a uh, hash rate limiter for their cards i think Generally, it decreases their hash rate by about half, about 50%. And that's supposed to make like the higher uh, tier 30,000, um, 3,000 cards a little like not profitable, basically. Yeah, it's a new method of doing it that was more introduced by, um, I believe, the chip manufacturer um, on NVIDIA's request. Mm. I remember, I think it was HFC. Gotcha. Do you think um, that maybe like crypto miners will be able to find a way to bypass that, or is it like more hardware based where you can't really? It's going to be harder. Without soldering or something like that. It's going to be harder, but uh, they'll probably be able to bypass it. I mean, I I have no doubt they'll be able to bypass it. It might just be too much cost or time or gotcha. human labor. For them, there's no such thing as too much time. They're kind of like you know the hackers that go after large companies, except they're hated by most of the community. For gotcha. uh, for you know, causing problems for everybody else trying to get GPUs. Gotcha. So Nvidia's goal is probably just to increase the barrier to entry, so less people are doing it at least. So that yeah, help supply at least a little bit. Christ. Yeah, I mean, plus like we have had supply chain issues over the past year as well. So, um, it's not like entirely like the sculptors and miners' fault. At- I would say because we've always had that's them. true. Uh, but this year's supply has been particularly bad. They've probably. just been growing in like the, the number of scalpers and miners, and I think that can that can be brought up to um COVID allowing more people to be at home and therefore to find to have less stuff to do. And most of the people who are usually putting their, their mind and their I guess weird psych into their business and their their work are now putting it into finding ways to make money outside of working or if they've lost their job finding ways to make money and for them it's mining yeah i guess that's a totally plausible explanation as well well i guess since there might be more demand for and scalping i guess sidekick as well yeah scalping is a for them it's a reasonable economic gain um for people they just have people fall for it it's like, ah, oh, yes, I'll buy it at a higher price because I, I'm not finding any. I mean, it's an yeah. economy. I, mean, I don't really, like, sorry, yeah. I don't really uh, fault them all too much because isolating for uh, how's, how long has it been? Like a year and some change. It can really do something to someone. Because <laughs> I know, like, sometimes, like, if I isolate for long enough, then I start to, like, think really hard about money and optimizing that, or at least optimization in general. But that's just me. So. That's just my yeah. own to the situation. I know some scalpers, at least like my friend, I think his mindset is that like it's on the fault of the people for limiting the supply, not him for like taking advantage of it. So I think part of the issue is that 
like a lot of people like everyone thinks that somebody else is like in the wrong about it but i think everyone can themselves yeah yeah so like i feel like it's tough because like no one really wants to take accountability i guess i mean i feel like we could go into human nature with that but i'm not going to yeah (laughs) we can we can chalk it up to people not taking a look at themselves and judging themselves for who they are because they've never done it that's we're making about what these cards are for and and in reality is once you put this put these things into into the market then you know like you don't control what they're bought for and that's just kind of how it works yeah i feel like it's almost kind of like i guess speculation and like the stock market as well like how they're their own stock market yeah like prices are going up without the company or the product itself doing like having any meaningful change to warrant that change yeah. in that price ex- other than just some demand a lot of external factors going in <laughs> covid people being isolated people having more time it's just that's interesting it's also kind of interesting like is it the fault of the company for like what their product like has a side effect of doing i guess like, I mean, like if 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 miners use their products, I guess like it's tough because like they don't actually have to do anything to stop it, but it's probably well, like ethically good for them to do. I think for like companies like Nvidia, um, like all they care about is their products being sold, right? So they shouldn't like technically they don't really care about uh, who is using the product, but I. But the, I think the reason that they is trying to, um, like make sure the supplies goes to, um, gamers is that one, it's part of their reputation. Yeah, that's what I was thinking. And the other part is if you can, um, and also the other part is I guess, maximum utility, or uh, mm-hmm. by which I mean, if you are able to sell sell the RTX GTS cards to gamers. Then you can push people who do the com- like who do the computings to the quadro cards, and that might mean more yeah. over- overall sales as well. So that could be a motivation for them to like try to change the situation too. Oh, I looked at the quadro cards a while back, and they're also being scalped. Yeah, they should. Their, their prices also jumped up about Sorry. one thousand. Yeah, they should instead like. Instead of like maybe pushing them towards the quadro cards, like Nvidia does have like a series of like dedicated GPUs for like professional like crypto mining. It's called the Nvidia CMP HX. I did and not know that. All they all they are are just pure like crypto mining cards. Like they show like the hash rate for Ethereum and stuff. That's how like they're rated. That's how their price is like made is based on the hash rate. So. If Nvidia can somehow like market those a little bit better, or maybe like decrease like the price for those to make them a little bit more profitable than like the three thousand series cards, then I feel like we could somewhat fix it. In yeah, theory, they are more profitable the cards them- themselves, but that's also why they're being sold at a higher price, I suppose. Scalpers are different than miners. We'll probably end up with the scalpers finding a way to get it first. Oh, true. Yeah. <laughs> They'll yeah. be like, oh, wow, crypto miners really want this. There's Let's actually a quick way to fix that, and it's called a CAPTCHA whenever you launch um, whenever you launch the website. Yeah. Um, 
uh, whatchamacallem, um, a, a UK overclockers, uh, overclockers UK, basically, that's what they're called, I believe. Mm-hmm. Uh, on day one of the NVIDIA launch, they had a CAPTCHA ready, and they still had cards by the end of the day. Um, could it maybe just be because, like, UK, the UK place nope. doesn't, like, serve to mm-hmm. as many people? Nope. They ran out of cards immediately as well. Everywhere else except for at Overclockers UK. Okay. But yeah, that, that I would ha- yeah. I have seen that like some bot softwares, or at least most of them now, can get around patches or whatever. Whatever I, I probably pronounced that wrong, but um, Just make a double um, caption. But yeah, they can get around this now. It's like a big like arms race of like bot um, programmers versus like the websites. So I do think like. I do want to like also touch on that, like, yeah, the websites that are selling these cards also have like art of the blame pushed on them, just like NVIDIA, just like the actual people buying them. It's a very uh, dense web of blame. Yeah, it's kind of tough to like how I mean, like, I assume like NVIDIA is just trying to sell the cards, but then they also have to deal with like all the stuff going on with it. Like, I know uh at least for like some botting for like shoes and stuff like that so i'm assuming it's similar like it gets to the point where a lot of people like buy google accounts that are like trusted so that um they can like solve google's captures in one click instead of having to like finish a whole you know like click the pictures that apply thing or whatever that's so, like kind of weird how uh i don't know i guess everything's like evolving but does, yeah, but doesn't like Google has this like no click capture now? You just kind of move your mouse around it and it uh, detects do you move your mouse and do things like a human and you don't even have to um, like hmm. look at anything? It might. I haven't heard of that. I didn't know that. Because I've been seeing that like a, a quite bit last year, but I don't know why. I haven't seen as much this year. I mean, it's probably with like the advent of like AI. I feel like you could easily train an AI to just like mimic human movement. Like that's pretty easy for it to do. Yeah, to, like, could you just like record? You just like record you moving the mouse. I wonder. I mean, they have to have more. Or like that. That. <laughs> that would be easier as well. Yeah, like what if you just literally <laughs> have like a macro? It's yeah. It's how you interact with um the website and how you move your mouse to target. Like little variations. I don't know. Um, I suppose it would be easier to train in an AI to, yeah, to to do that. Uh, um, I don't know what the exact like, um, like metrics they have behind, uh, the 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 new capture system. But yeah, I think the easiest way would be to find a way, um to make it so that there's a difference between uh, mouse input from uh, in any sort of outside system, um, sorry, inside system, compared to a mouse input from an actual hardware mouse. Um, and then oh, find a way sure. to stop it, stop it from being able to like spoof that kind of mouse uh, hardware uh, input, like fake it. That, that would be through the actual yeah. operating system creators like Windows and stuff, yeah. making stuff like that. That would suppose- definitely change the barrier of entry. Sorry, you can go. Yeah, no, I suppose it's it, it's a proprietary system, I think, so we don't know what exactly is going on. Yeah. But yeah, they definitely they definitely don't just look at your um your I guess cursor path or whatever. I'm I'm yeah. sure they look at more things. Otherwise it I don't I have a hard time imagining that it works. 
Yeah. Either way, I do think that uh, I think we can all like agree that websites could do a slightly better job at detecting these bots. Like, I feel like they're easy, like human implement, like human detection systems you can implement. It's kind of an arms race, though. Um, like some of them ask for accounts, phone numbers, like emails. So, well, mainly phone numbers. So one phone number only. You can only have one. Um, mm. Make one purchase kind of thing. That's like that's been relatively effective when it comes to limiting the amount each person buy. Um, yeah, it works. But the whole capture issue, I feel like it's 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 like an and and a f perpetual arms race. Uh -huh. Yeah, I agree. It's, think about it. how long have have we been doing captures for? Like almost thirty years at this point, right? Yeah. Or maybe thirty years. I'm not sure about the exact. Me neither. <laughs> yeah. Whenever Hopper first invented them. Well, Hopper coined the term. I don't think he invented them. Wait, he he did really? Oh no! Just had to hear that. Yeah. Wait, but he really coined coined the term. Sorry, he's just a professor at our uh, university who does oh, yeah. like specializes in crypto. But did Hopper uh, coin coin captcha? Uh, he was part of it. Well, there's uh, the term was coined in 2003 by somebody, somebody Nicholas J. Hopper, and uh, oh nice, a couple other people. But he's the only one who doesn't have a wiki page. In this list, uh, he probably just typed one letter on the research paper. I was just like, "Yes, I contributed." Just kidding. He probably he probably did more, but <laughs> no, he so what a he, legend he, though. He coined True. the term and like one of his whatever. Oh, that's cool. Something I don't, I'm not, I don't know for sure. Sorry, cute little tidbit, a little bit, a little bit off track, but all good. Um, but yeah, I do think that there needs to be. Maybe not CAPTCHAs, but there should be, like, a better way to detect humans. Like, um, maybe, I know it's probably been done before, but, like, credit card information. I feel like that's harder to do. But we I don't have, know, I feel like there's a lot of, like... We credit credit cards, though. Yeah. Uh, a lot of people how, have, how, like... like what's the frequency, though, that you can spoof them? No, like, um... I, I, by, by spoofing, I mean, like, using, like, um, like, temporary, like, fake numbers ah uh, i don't know how, how i don't know how they do it because i thought you only get like allocated a certain amount of yeah, um, numbers um but i don't know if you heard of i guess there's a website called privacy.com which has been advertised everywhere for whatever reason like you can have like temporary credit cards that you just use for like a couple of um like you just use for couple of purchases and you can just close them like mm, of course there's a business for it god damn yeah, it yeah no oh, well. it, it is recognized as but it, it is recognized as credit cards never mind then screw that um scratch That's, off that uh some point we'll just have to use faces yeah fingerprints honestly. fingerprints and faces fingerprints faces fingerprints while like you can duplicate them they're much harder to duplicate like a bunch of them so hopefully I mean, the, hardest, is the hardest to duplicate what is sorry? Your like, I guess, iris finger fingerprint like in your eyes. Oh, okay, yeah. Well, I just I didn't mean, hear what you said. I'm just basing it off of something that uh, most 
uh, the government has most most of, if you know what I mean. Like, the government yeah, has yeah, most have a... people's fingerprints. So, right, I hate to say it, but they do have a good face in a space. They, they yeah, do. But that becomes like how far do we want to, how invasive do we want to be just to make True. sure that you're human? Do we want to probe into your brain just to make sure you're, you're human? Yeah. Like, what if we have cyborgs thing. in the future? Are you human or a robot? Yeah. We do have to ride that line of a privacy invasion. And there's the AI um, faking face thing where it's, I mean, it's gotten so good. Yeah, deep fakes. Where they, they take many features that people know and then put them together. And somebody's like, wait, I've seen that person before, but it's actually just an AI generated face. Yeah, that's nuts. It's also, it's also a weird, like, uh, what was I going to say? Yeah, I mean, just like how many systems there are that are literally pretty much like just getting around a lot of the security measures. Like, I know proxy companies are a pretty big thing. We're like, pretty sure the majority of the purpose is just like selling proxies to people who bought. Well, I know kind of. the idea of the fingerprint system is like a a double a double key system where you have a key and the government has a key and nobody else has that key. Your fingerprint and the government's record of your fingerprint, basically. And then, you know, when you go to, for example, buy the item that needs your fingerprint, the government will, well, the job will access the government database to see if you have a finger, if your fingerprint matches, just, basically. I yeah, just thought, yeah, sorry, sorry, I just thought of something like really easy, at least in America, that we can do. Um, I don't know how easy they are to spoof, but social security numbers. And it is an invasion of privacy. As long as you like trust the website you're giving them to, pretty, those are pretty like foolproof, I'd say. Because each person only has one. I don't know how easy it is to spoof them or duplicate them, though. Right, but that that poses that poses a much higher risk of identity theft. Like any, if any website that that uses that sort of verification is breached, then. Yeah, that's why I said it depends on how much you trust the website, but. Just Even an if idea. you trust the website, like. There's no and like we all write software like we know there's no bug free and perfectly secure code. That is true. Oh, that doesn't exist is bug free and perfectly secure. Yo, but that's I think you're on to something there. <laughs> I'm on to quantum. You just shouldn't code. Wow. Anyways. Yeah, I guess um, that also, yeah. Go for it. Oh, no, you're still on that topic. I was going to branch into uh, another topic. No, I was going to branch off as well. well I mean, okay, yeah, security well. issues also brings into uh, light the the specific issue with uh, Linux. If you guys want to talk about that. Yes, that's you know actually what can talk about because we kind of <laughs> ran into ethics. Yeah. And, and I think it's not just ethics and applications since there has been this recent incident of ethics and research. Um, I feel like, I guess somebody should explain the story first. Um, Eric, do you want to do it? Uh, I could. I feel like, uh, I'm trying to remember how it originated. Because didn't it originate like six months ago, technically, or something like that? It didn't um, blow up until recently, yeah. Yeah, I think I can talk about it a little bit more, because I recently, like, maybe like a few weeks ago, like, read an article on it, but... Um, 
I could fill in any holes if you'd like. Sure. I guess I'll just give like a really brief overview of no essentially uh, there are some professors that were doing research on the security of the Linux shell. And the Linux shell is like pretty, um, like it's used in like a lot of stuff that's like pretty secure. So it's not mm -hmm. just like trying to hack into like, I don't know, a game or something like that. Like it's used by like nuclear reactors and stuff. I'm pretty yeah. sure. And as like, and just like an example, it's also uses for like a lot of operating systems. Like I think it's used by Apple a little bit. It's used by Android. All their OSs yeah. run on Linux, so it's very heavily modified. But yeah, I mean, if you just look at the word kernel, it's 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 the core of this of the system, right? Mm -hmm. It interacts with the hardware and everything. It interacts with like direct hardware drivers. Yeah, exactly. So obviously, security is pretty important for that. Um, I believe some professors were trying to test the security through more of like a human experiment in the sense that they were trying to see if they could sneak past faulty patches um through like actual people who would check mm -hmm. their code which is uh kind of a topic for debate because that doesn't necessarily prove whether a system's secure or not because like literally anything out there that is being secured could technically be deemed not secure if the person uh like right. actually trained isn't like good enough or anything right humans is like humans are always going to be like that's weak point in security uh, I th yeah. But I think their original intention was to test the process and maybe the like organization of how the code is um, processed and reviewed. They yeah. uh, they like didn't intend it to be a human experiment, and and like I use the I think we're using the term human experiment very loosely here. Yeah, they uh, the more specific term is human subjects testing. I think that's the official term by the, uh, what's it called, IRC or something along those lines. RB, yeah. So, by, RB, yeah. so now, yeah, we can, and that's really the main matter of the debate, whether it is, um, what was it called again, human subject experiment? Yeah, human subjects testing, yeah. Yeah. And as far, well, and according to, so the, the research of, submitting i guess um i guess code into into like the kernel well it's not actually committed to the kernel but they try to sub submit it um the mm -hmm. research that sub that tried to submit the code was approved by the I irb yeah. um that's the u of m's irb or yeah. is it just it's the u of m's yeah. irb yep so it's like an institutional like institution general general I guess RB, it's not like specific to a department. Yeah. Um, also, I think back in, they started like maybe doing the experiment, I want to say back in like July of last year. And it's been going on maybe like they've done like similar experience in the past, like the past couple of years. And it's been fine. But um, they eventually, they mainly just wanted to like send code into like to be like reviewed by the Linux kernel just to see if they can get like any known like i don't know spaghetti code through to be clear they were not sending any like malicious code that wasn't their intent they were just sending super superfluous code just like code that's unneeded unneededly uh complex and that was supposed to be like rejected oh, and one... oh sorry oh one other thing i was gonna add i think they also um they they submitted like faulty code or i mean you know whatever code to see if it would get through 
And I think like with that, they also submitted another patch with like, which would fix the faulty code that they put in. So it's not um, like they were just gonna like send something through that was like completely busted at least. But it's still obviously. Uh, I recently read like their apology letter that they sent that email they sent me like a couple weeks ago, and it said that they never sent any malicious code. I think that was oh, like a weird. misconception, kind of like blown up by Twitter. Um, but like um, I mean, we say malicious. Um, I think they definitely have like. Well, I mean, they they meant to submit code that was supposed to be rejected, right? Yeah, that's the most, I guess, somewhat close to accurate as yeah. accurate as I can get. Um, but if we think about code that needs to, that are supposed to be rejected, um, like they need to be at least somewhat faulty, right? I I know yeah. I don't think they ever introduced any um security vulnerabilities. Um, yeah, I think that's for, what they were getting at. Like secure well, for security reasons, but there were some like minorly um on not optimal code. That's like the gotcha. weakest weakness. I think. Yeah, that's what I assumed. Like there was some code that was like superfluous and like needlessly complex, and because of that and of how unoptimized it was, it was supposed to be rejected. Yeah, I think. Right. The the thing we know for sure is that it is code that's supposed to be rejected. Yeah. Um, so continue my story back in like, uh, I think maybe like November of last year of 2020, they th were thinking of maybe like maybe it should be human subjects testing, um, even though they started like maybe back in, I mean, I think October or August or something along those lines. And then they kind of like followed up with the IRB in December and they said, yes, it is supposed to be uh like they, I think they asked for permission for human subjects testing with the IRB in December, and then they granted it basically. Um, I and don't think. So... No, so I don't think it was like they got approved for human subject testing. I think just uh, in the process there were some concerns that it might be human subject testing, and they, I think they submitted some explanation that got it like exempt. Gotcha. I'm going to double check because I think I had like an email. Of it, but yeah, you guys can continue. Like, uh, yeah, like I'm pretty sure, it. like, uh, DRB has had concerns about, uh, it could be human subject testing, experimenting, whatever. Um, mm. so ask them to explain the process a little bit more. And oh, yeah, 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 that's what it was. They explained okay. it, and and DRB determined, okay, it's not, um, human yeah, subject. That, yeah, that's what it was. Uh, they verified with, uh, definition, even though, um, even though I did one of the issue I see was, um, well, I guess at least in hindsight is that uh, the IRB itself, because it's not like the IRB of the department or or like of the I guess the academic college like of this engineering college, um, like they probably don't have a lot of idea of how the kernel uh, community or the Linux Foundation works. Yeah. So they just took um, the look, took the word, the words of the researchers, and I'm pretty yeah. sure, like I, I wouldn't be surprised if, like, in the whatever explanation um, document that they had, uh, they kind of played it down to just make things easier. Um, but even yeah. now, like, we, we, we even now, like, we don't 
like we are still debating whether it is um, a like human subject research or not. Mm -hmm. So I have the email up right now, the apology letter that they sent a bit ago to the UMN campus. And yeah, and um, and they they already like submitted their paper of the work to IEEE in November of 2020, which was um, accepted that, that month. And then what? after that, they decide, okay, it could possibly be human subjects. And they uh, asked the um, IRB and they determined that it was not in December. Well, I guess the, the one thing is IEEE doesn't uh, necessarily review the ethics and their methods because uh, it is, it isn't, I guess, it could classify as an observational study and they really only report their like oh they only report their like results um so i don't think uh the i like we should put anything on like IEEE for that yeah i don't i don't think IEEE is at fault here yeah i guess what's interesting is like given that obviously the researchers are the only people that are going to really know the full context like I guess it's like kind of on them to give like a really complete description on what they're actually doing. Because like the people approving it probably aren't going to know as well as they do. Right. Yeah. There's also that when it comes to research, you don't know exactly what the entire process is going to be like because it's new research sometimes. Right. Until yep. like you, yeah, until you're doing it. Um, and just I just remembered. But um, this like study wasn't actually like the breaking points of the uh, what was it the Linux founder, well, current like head kernel maintainer that uh, caused him to ban it. I don't know if we said it yet, but the the result of all this was that the uh, head of the Linux kernel who maintains everything banned uh, the University of Minnesota from pushing uh, code to be submitted into the Linux kernel. So that's probably something we should have gotten out of there immediately but apologies. So what, what was the reason um so i'm getting to that um so as we kind of heard that in like mid late 2020 um this uh research uh research project has been like committing like generally unusable code well code that should be rejected to the linux kernel which is which bugged the uh probably the reviewers a little bit um, because I don't think they actually, yes, they did not actually like tell them ahead of time, which I guess from a research perspective makes sense because you don't really want to tell your subjects because that would uh, kind of give you uh, kind of skewed results. Um, but that's not, this study is not the main reason why he banned the university. It actually happened in April of 2021. One of the students from the uh, same lab decided to do like something similar to what they did uh, last later well, last year, um, and they uh, he sent code um, that was like uh, not well designed and was superfluous. That was the code that was not well designed, superfluous, but it wasn't um, malicious in nature. And I think that's what was yeah. Some maintainers viewed. Um, this person's patches with a great deal of skepticism and suspicion and suspected that it was a continuation of the uh, hypocrite co commits work. So this was this little thing that happened in April was probably like the uh, final straw that caused the kernel to ban 
the uh, University of Minnesota. Right. Uh, using I'm, I just pulled up like um, this statement by Greg. Um, yeah. I think one one of the main thing he cited was uh, commits have been found to be submitted in bad faith to try to test the kernel community's ability to review known malicious changes. The result of these submissions can be found in a paper published, you know, and then the paper they published in this 42nd IEEE Symposium on Security and Privacy. Um, that that was the main thing he cited. But one thing about one thing about experimenting on, I guess, a, an open source community is that um, traditionally, if you want to have an experiment on some organization where it's um like where i guess your your tests test subjects are blind um you still need to talk to some um i guess authority that can give you the permission right yeah and right. Well, yeah uh, i was gonna say like i wonder if they could have like talked to somebody like not actually reviewing the code and worked out something where they could just have like a true yeah you know right, some but, kind of study that's not impacted but but the thing is like in i don't think there's this super strong hierarchy in the in, in the kernel community even though it's not a huge one i don't think yeah um, i mean you could always like tell the inventor of linux but i don't think he's really working on it or close to those people anymore i'll be honest yeah, Linus is well. Linus isn't working on the kernel. Um, it's mainly the Greg guy that gotcha. that did man, but he is also the one doing a like I think a bulk of the reviews. Thing. Oh, that's tough. <laughs> so it's hard so, to find a supervisor. Yeah, like it's not a hierarchical like the nature of the open source community is not like super hierarchical, I don't think. Yeah. It's more of like a group effort. Yeah, so One like, and there's meeting, maybe. like even if it is like there's no somebody that holds so much power over, over somebody else that they can just authorize this. I mean the kind of issue brings into question just generally ethics in computing, right? Yeah, so, I mean, like, when we were talking about human subject research um, in, like, fields like biology, medicine, like, they have very strict rules on um, testing human subjects, mm -hmm. right? But um, in computing, like, we tend not to think about these sort of um, research and experiments because we are actually dealing with uh, the machine itself most of the time. So it doesn't feel like um, you are like machine or software itself that it doesn't feel like you, you are interacting with humans, even yeah. though it, it can have a direct impact on humans. Yeah, like on top of that, there's there's no yeah, as you said, physical. Uh, there's more of like a, just a mental impact that we have on people, and you know, we yeah, every I think everybody knows that there's a hard. It's it's kind of very hard to distinguish um, a mental assault compared to a physical assault. 
in just any sort of ethical framework. Um, seeing as to how we have so much trouble uh, with, you know, the judicial system when it comes to stuff like that. Yeah, but even but in this case, I think we're not even reaching like a a baseline of consent here. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Like even like uninformed consent, I don't think we fully have it here. Well, I think that problem, like just that I was talking about, leads to just our understanding, differing understanding of what physical consent, mental consent is. Um, like consent for like physical uh possibilities and consent for mental possibilities i mean in it the depends. sense of mentally affecting somebody with um your research i mean it depends on what you consider like physical because a lot of some of the code that was submitted in april while it wasn't malicious it was still not the best optimized so it, if it were to be like approved into the kernel it would actually affect the runtime like the performance of the kernel so personally to me i'd consider that physical i don't know what you're considering well, physical here well the main thing the main thing is like there is no like well there is no really psychological damage done but but um a lot of time was wasted um like at least from like the kernel maintenance perspective mm -hmm. because they weren't like asked whether they wanted to participate in this um process research process or not right so it's not even is there damage done it's that we are um like we're lacking a full consent to participate in the research here mm -hmm. Because I'm just trying to understand what a uh, physical and mental consent means, Nick. Um, so let's say you make uh, something, some just program that works for the army. Well, of course, when it comes to doing research for stuff like that, and you're researching something that has to do with quite literal physical um, harm that may occur, um, you need the, the consent from the individuals involved um, about, you know, physical harm being possible. And then there's the mental consent with you never really mention, and nobody really mentions in those types of research, uh, there may be mental harm. I mean, yes, in biological and other studies, people mention there may be mental harm, but not in coding studies. Yeah. I mean, like, especially in coding studies, I think there's, there's not like a fine line between physical and mental or at least how you're defining it because what like, i'm defining it, yeah people so, are losing time because of this is that physical or mental there's actual there could be actual like slight damage to the linux kernel is that physical or mental i don't know which one that i'm you're you're basing it off of just that i'm not talking from the linux and that issue standpoint anymore that was never nobody asked for consent so i'm talking about situations in which they ask for consent Okay. In in that kind of aspect, the right. mental consent is when you have a program that doesn't do doesn't have some sort of so, physical aspect to it, as in, for example, a program that 
it's just an AI that doesn't run a robot or something, just an AI that works online uh, that constantly messes with people's websites, but you ask them for the consent, their consent. Um, and that aspect, there is mental damage done. Um, so do you mean, yeah. So do you mean like um, consent for uh, risk of, uh, I guess, emotional or mental harm? Yes, I mean okay. in that aspect, human, physical, and mental. Alex, when you're talking about mental in that aspect, when you say physical, you mean metaphysical. Okay. Because right. metaphysical is, and in a sense, non-physical. It's yes, it's so, a physical thing inside of a a network, but it's it's not actually physically there. Okay, so the thing that are physical or mental aren't like the consent themselves. They're like a, the individual it's the potential harm. Right. The potential harm. So okay. So I'm looking at I'm looking at the human subject rights um recommended by uh the National Institute of Justice mm -hmm. uh in the US here. Um so the first first item, like usually that's we the first thing that we talk about is voluntary informed consent. Right. I'm just going down the list here. We didn't mm -hmm. have that. Um yeah. And you, there might be, and there is more to go into what is considered informed consent while you're performing a, I guess, blind, blinded study. Um, but again, that, that's for sure we, something we didn't have. Second thing is respect for persons treated as autonomous agents, which I would also argue in this case, we didn't have like people are treated as like part of the process, but this one is hard to define. Um, and then the third is the right to end participation in research at any time. Mm. That they do, but because of the lack of consent, and in the first place, like it's more, it's less of a right, but just something that they can do, as. The next one is right to safeguard integrity. I don't know what that means. Let's, I'll, I, I'm just going to skip that. Um, there's protection from physical, mental, and emotional harm, which is what we were talking about. Um, and, but will we classify this as emotion? Yeah, I think it's more of an emotional harm kind of aspect, seeing as to how the individuals were taken aback by what had occurred and had banned uh, your college from that for something as simple as that. That, that, in my opinion, is a emotional harm because they reacted in an emotional way towards something that usually occurs in a sense. When I say usually, I mean idiots sending code, but in the sense, it's not idiots sending code. And then when you consider, well, that's, then we're using a pretty broad definition of emotional harm then because we can also define it as something that's um i guess in a more clinical sense that's i guess pathological um by some medical standards yes. that we have we can also define it like that too which to is, me it's more of an unlogical reaction to a um a situation that didn't require such an unlogical reaction mm -hmm. i think i think we can oh sorry 
What do you mean by like, re like, reactions? Well, when you have an open source system, you should expect code that is going to be like that um, to arrive. And when an individual sends it, um, you should take it in an unbiased manner and just review it and see if it's if it's worthwhile and accept or reject it. However, when somebody from the same area sent the same type of code after it had occurred the first time, they took that personally and then banned the whole entire college. Right. So first thing is, it's not the first time. Yeah. So they have a, like, a different person. It's not, instead of it being... It's still the same lab. Yeah, yeah. It's so a they had like, it though, right? Yeah, but they yeah. had like, like I like you, you, we can argue that it's it's an overreaction, but at the same time, um, like they had some, uh, I guess, valid reasons to believe that, um, it is not worth their time. Like the an overwhelming amount of um, patches sent from the source has been in bad faith and not worth their time in the long term when it comes to the I guess the health of the project yeah so that's what the reviewing process is for though yeah that's so, why it's never actually accepted until it's reviewed and the thing is you're going to have stuff like that occur and right. well the you, problem with it is that it's purposeful they're purposefully sending bad code. Now, if it was on accident, I'd understand. Like, even I, I think it's. I think the issue is. I, I think the issue is more on the, like, not consistency, but like repetition, repeated attempts of doing that. Yeah. And yeah, all probably he sees is that it's, Greg sees it's all under the same UMN email address. So it's like they're all coming from this one university. So it's either one person being really annoying or it's an entire lab group. I don't know. But then he emotionally reacts and just bans the whole entire yeah, I, I university do agree. so he doesn't have to deal with it. Instead, I do agree. he could have reached out to the university to see what was going on and then talk to the lab group about why they're sending more after the stuff is done. And then the lab group would reach out to him and say, hey, we didn't do that. Somebody else did it under us. Yeah, I do agree it was an overreaction. I'm not saying it wasn't. Yeah, and that was the whole argument that I was saying. It was an emotional, emotional also, reaction. I mean, I'd also say that there was some mental involved as well. But I think we can agree that there was no physical because no one yeah. physically got hurt. So I think the important yeah. part was that there was harm and that that part of that human subject testing recommendation was not fulfilled. I think that's the important part. Um, yeah, and then the next one is access to information regarding research. That's fine. And last one is protection of privacy and well-being. Uh, again, that's also super vague, uh, but there is a citation next to it that I'm not going to read right now. Um, yeah, I think it's it's mainly emotional harm and, and consent in this case. Mm-hmm. That, um, how do we, like, how do we even define, um, ethics for like computing related research? Because 
more and more we're seeing that um like what the field is doing has more and more direct impact on people's lives you know we've talked about ais we've talked about face facial recognitions we've talked about just you know normal human research right it comes to stuff like that uh, especially with AIs, you probably want to start with a uh, in-group of testers where, yes, okay, they are, they they do know what's going on. Um, however, the objective is to test it on them so that any extraneous possibilities, like random stuff that may cause emotional or, um, you know, mental harm, even physical harm, doesn't occur so that if you do want to test it on people outside who are non-consensual because you want to test it in a regular environment, then then you can do that after after testing it in with an in-group to make sure that something crazy doesn't occur so that you can get rid of all the bugs and then just test it with an out-group and have them not have any emotional or physical harm occur from any extraneous uh, stuff. I mean, yeah, I would say that um, this uh, recommended rights of human subjects is a good place to start. Um, mm-hmm. But a lot of times, even the line of what is research can be can be blurry too. For example, yeah. like if if we're if we're doing beta testing, like we're rolling things out to random people, like is that it's that's normally not considered research. Yeah, but it has the same effect and it's essentially the same action. You're just not writing some of your, like you're just not observing the same things as a research sometimes. Would that still have to, yeah. I know what you're saying here. I think more in a judicial standpoint, um, they're going to look at what type of company or what type of group is putting it out. If they're a research group, then it's research. But if they're more of a game development or, um, other type of group, then they're going to see it as some sort of beta testing and put different types of um, limiters, laws, etc. on it if it's, for example, taken to court or if they're looking at it in that type of standpoint. Right. So I, I suppose um, like research institutes, like universities ha- should have, could have a stricter standard when it comes to um, like some of these testing since it, it could be more on the cutting edge sometimes. But I I don't think that we should just you know um, obviously as you said like we we can't just allow um, non research institute to do whatever they want because a lot of times they do have they could have a a, a even greater impact on people. Um, but how do we like? But how do we make that something that? Like, what is the guideline that we can have for us to review whether it is um, ethical or not? For, for us to judge whether it is sufficiently ethical. Another, another kind of weird thing, too, is like, I mean, if the people conducting the research went to a different school, I feel like there's a good chance that the exact same outcome would have happened just to that school instead. So it's like, I don't know. I guess, like, is the punishment too harsh for that? Or is it, like, the school's fault for not having strong enough guidelines, ethically? Or is it just, like, opening people's eyes about stuff that they were unaware of, I guess? 
for me, I don't think I would um, like I expected too much more out of um, out, out of things like IRB because again, like they had the limited knowledge and guidelines that they have, and I don't think um, it would have happened differently. The only thing that we can do right now is try to see okay whether we want a stricter um like ethics guideline specific more specific to the field of computing related subjects i know that's really been um if you're talking about computing related subjects and ethics uh that's been worked on for ages and ages uh, there's you know books on that and everything and um I think it really just like they started with a uh, kind of frameworking uh, computing generally. I said that weird, but computing in general, and then started frameworking smaller things within it because you need an outside framework uh, first with a general, a general ethics within it, and then inner frameworks with more in-depth information on how to deal with specific scenarios with. Um, more specific areas, um, going back to AI, uh, they've been working on that for a while. Um, there's still questionable stuff. And um, I mean, at this point, the only thing that really can continue to grow it is just court cases and um, some people trying to innovate the area by making AI that bring into question those frameworks and grow those frameworks. That's all I have there, basically. Yeah, I mean, one thing with, I guess, things like AI is that we don't know, we don't know the full scope of it. We don't know how it, like, how it might evolve. And there's no really good, a good way for us to, um, to sit down, like, to to sit down and say, what does, um, how does each guideline apply in what specific situation we just simply don't have them so there is this like inherent risk here um like fortunately like we when we were talking about the linux kernel case it was minimal harm done um and it wasn't like something that's that has some any widespread effect but Again, the question again becomes like, how much risk do we want to keep um, taking? How much risk do we want to keep allowing? Mm-hmm. Because again, if you look at medical research, like there are things that, um, that that researchers used to do that would, yes, give you a, a lot of um, like information, a lot, a lot of knowledge, but it, because it was so unethical that we just don't do it anymore because we respect we respect the rights of human subjects now even if that means the research becomes a little bit more difficult sometimes and quickly bringing uh, an example into that the individual who uh, had part of this i think frontal lobe or uh, his hippocampus uh quite literally just tapped out uh basically became um uh, was a short-term memory individual, couldn't remember anything else, um, and they were using him for research. 
and they didn't really get the right type of consent on top of that. Um, it just like the procedure itself and the way they were treating this research material wasn't right. And now there are ways that they're dealing with that. So, yeah, I mean, we, we always talk about informed consent and there are times where because it's because of the nature of the research, it's impossible to have an informed consent and that sometimes you just simply don't know what might happen. Um, and I don't think, I, I don't think we should just stay at this broad of a level and say, okay, we'll let it happen or we don't allow most of it to happen. Like there has to be something that's more specific that tells us, um, um there is a way. Um, however, it is knowing that it's going to occur before it occurs. So um, basically building a framework that forces individuals to put forwards the type of research they're going to do before they do it. And then it, depending on what type of research it is, uh, push government officials into that in order to build frameworks while they're working on it. So a dynamic system. Right. I mean, within, I, I suppose within like, um, like within current university universities and things, we have a system in place for, um, for like reviewing ethics, and that does require you to have a good description of your methods, and well, mainly methods and like what you're doing basically. Um, but as we've seen, like. It's still not, I guess, I don't know if it's the, the guidelines themselves that, are, that aren't enough, or are we not, um, I guess, cautious enough when it comes to, um, when it comes to things that they're like the Linux kernel incident. Because I, for, again, with like trials of, like clinical trials of drugs and things, like we tend to like err on the side of caution like we tend to we tend not to like to take too too much risks because of the potential physical harm um and i think i guess one thing is we should like we are starting to talk more about ethics and computing now and that is something that really i think everybody in the field, especially researchers, just should start thinking about more because I don't think that's been on. Like, when you think about computer science, for example, like, really, ethics isn't on top of your head most of the time. Like, when you think about something you want to do, you don't think, think about whether it might be unethical. And that's something that I think we. So that that's something we can absolutely change comparing to debating about um considering the guidelines yeah i would like to say that our uh, university is starting to uh, think at least require some form of ethics course in computing i know it offers one and um a lot of uh advisors recommend it 
for people who are taking computer science. So that might reflect like an overall movement for universities. Mine already requires it. Good. Okay, that's better then. That's better I sample size. <laughs> I had taken it. I took it last uh, last year sometime. By the way, did you guys want to move to the last topic? Or I think we got enough information out here. Pretty much just wrap up from I'm here. good with wrapping up. Yeah, All right. Because I think there's still a little bit more things to say about like ethics classes and things. Because um, I think for us, um, I think TAs are required to at least like read something on it. It's not much, but you can also take an optional, optional class that, that talks about it as well. Um, yeah, but, sure. but it's we more are... like specific. Okay. So yeah, I was going to say that because I, IEEE has a couple of um, guidelines for engineers and then I think there's something and then I think what was it I think ACM might have something more specific about computing as well but they're all fairly specific in terms of the um, I guess the occupation that, that you're in for example if you're a teacher you have one set of the, you, they, they, they tell you they give you this one one set of guidelines if, if you're a like developer or software engineer that give, they give you different set guidelines um there isn't really something that's i guess we have to i guess there we, we we will be struggling with how broad and specific do we want things to be forever but there's the sense that that it's not sufficient there are some gaps that need to be filled yeah um I guess we're not going to the like specific ones by actually or yeah I know right now but yeah I know one of them or some of them do have a whole like document detailing the ethics for like their uh, paper submissions and rules and stuff like that so right there I know it exists but, yeah I was uh, yeah I was just saying that even on there there is plenty of those information it just also feels insufficient at this, uh, yeah insufficient at the same time gotcha do you just think there's not um enough rules or it's just not enforced as well as it should be um one thing is some of them i feel are not enough rules might not be the best way to put it but again as i said like there are well. Maybe not gaps enough coverage class yeah. framework yeah there are like gaps and you know and i guess conflicts that we still need to resolve um i'm not going to like probably not going to go into anything specific but yeah i probably at least on the coverage front i feel like we'll always not have enough coverage because with how like fast computer science is evolving there's always going to be new kind of sectors that pop up that we'll have right. to make new rules for so it's never going to be completely done and also we're in, we don't want to limit um like potential innovations too by some rules that we didn't i guess thought out well mm -hmm. yeah we didn't like rules if we didn't think think our well if we didn't yeah think our rule well then there could be that it limits some like critical things that might not be unethical in the future as well well 
as we're wrapping up here, I'm just going to quickly ask, um, see if the chat, uh, at least on Twitch here, um, has any questions or concerns or even topics they want to talk about. Oh, yeah, we have one person in chat or something. We have about five. I'm in chat. Just want to see if anybody's in there who has any questions. If not, we won't get any. Perfectly fine. We can continue talking while that's going on. And if we don't get any questions, we'll just send it. But if we do, we can talk about them. Yeah, it's I don't fine. Think I mean, I suppose we're not going to conclude on anything. Oh, yeah, we're not going to end on something too con conclusive here since, you know, we're not really going in depth into any of the frameworks or, um, I guess, uh, academic yeah. work or any, like, philosophical work on, on these issues. Yeah, frankly, we don't have enough uh, knowledge in the area or we haven't done enough research into the actual frameworks because we weren't expecting to necessarily talk about them, so. Yeah, but I guess... But one thing we can say is there is always more to look at. I think that's what we've agreed on. Agreed. Yeah. Yeah, it's less than um that's less than ideal and but I do think now that we're talking about this, um people doing like people are doing research on, on this. We like we will, we are making progress, and we will need to keep make, making progress to keep up, anyways. Yep. Yep, that's another point. Ethics, at least in computing, is ever changing. I think that can be said for all of ethics because people's ideas change, but I feel like more so in computing, it's yeah. always going to change because of I how much some, is being made. Yeah, I, I think something we can do is just to really get ethics on everybody's mind and it's something that that is one of the major changes i've seen in recent years that made one of the major like good trends that i've seen since we're i guess a little bit more well i, I don't say i wouldn't say we're more scared about technology but we are we're always aware. we've always been scared about technologies but we've seen more of how um how it can impact yeah uh, the broader society now yeah, I'd say we're more cognizant of its effects. You understand more of the scope of it. Yeah. So I suppose we'll just see what happens. Mm -hmm. And should we just conclude it here? If like, that sounds good. Yeah. Sounds good. So and... we've been your hosts. And... Alex, I don't know if you want to redo the whole naming thing. <laughs> or you can just do the same as um, intro. And sure. we can say bye. Um, this, this, have been so, this has been some half-interesting takes with your co-hosts, Alex, Nick, hey. Zed, bye. and Eric. And we'll see you next time. Yep, catch you in the next one. See you later.